Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the sustainable development goals and the roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoy today's SDG Talks podcast. You have to empower people to actually think, oh, am I going to do that? Am I going to go on that way pursuing the intellectual property? Is it something that I can do? Yes. Is it something that I, I know how to do? No, but you have support. That second phrase is not known by much of the population. They don't know that they have free support and they have support to do things in the right way. Interesting. That's kind of magic. Kleber Santos. You're all in for a treat today to learn about Kleber, who works at the Brazilian Center for Research in Energy Materials as Innovation Analyst. Kleber's main role is to assist incredible people to protect their technologies and transfer them to society via licensing and spin-off creations. At the center, they work as an open facility that is free of charge for the scientific community and to make science education more accessible to those in Brazil and around the world. Kleber is uber passionate about infrastructure and education, and in this SDG Talks, we're going to talk about the World Cup, the Olympics, some of the challenges with infrastructure, from transportation, housing, utilities, and how this all ties into the past, present, and future of Brazil. Kleber, my man, how you doing today? I'm great. How about you? I'm doing well. So we were both in Unleash, but we didn't really meet at Unleash, but we've now become friends due to the coronavirus economy and the Unleash <laughs> hack. Yeah, that's kind of like a distinct situation to meet people during a pandemic. Because <laughs> normally I will go out and talk to people and now I have to talk to people inside of my home. <laughs> it's strange for me. I mean, it's been fantastic. I mean, looking at Obviously, there's been a lot of challenges to coronavirus and COVID-19. But on the flip side, there's been a lot of new interesting developments. And one has been our friendship, which has been fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. So when I read your profile and and looking at the forum, you talk about your passion with infrastructure and education. Maybe often, I don't normally think those two go hand in hand, but I do know that the SDGs are all interwoven. But with infrastructure, I was interested to hear about with some of your experience, some example of how the SDGs are interwoven with SDG 9, particularly with infrastructure, and how an example of transport or housing or utilities, and why that's such an important part of the roadmap to 2030. Yeah, that's an interesting take on the SDGs, because if we think about infrastructure, and, and I live in Brazil, so we have kind of like a passion about infrastructure, but a, a love-hate situation because we have invested that a lot in the past, but not so much in the near, um, in the past uh, years. So it's interesting because in Brazil, when you talk about infrastructure and uh, like many, many places in the world, we go directly to, to like the water and, and energy infrastructure, the, the roads and, and all of that. But when I think about infrastructure, I think about infrastructure directly linkage to the innovation part of the infrastructure. That's about like national centers, the national laboratories. And, and that's the kind of infrastructure that I say, because you have to have that infrastructure to support all 
of your population, including the scientists and the non-science uh, non people, they also uh, benefit from that because the, the industries use the national laboratories and national centers for their knowledge and for their infrastructure. Mm -hmm. On that note, I work at the National Center in Brazil for energy and materials. And we think about the infrastructure being the main thing that makes us work together because we have to think about the infrastructure needed to teach people how to use the cutting edge technology. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're going to be just learning by like videos and, and, and textbooks and you're not going to be like hands on with the new tech thing. And it's not, it's not a thing that can happen. It's not possible for every university or every uh, research institute have their own cutting edge facility. Interesting. Basically, it's not needed, but it's not, it's not feasible like money wise. So being a Brazilian yourself, I, I'm very interested to hear based on what you just talked about the past impact within Brazil around the World Cup and the Olympics. I know there was quite a bit of infrastructure development that went on where it seemed like a lot of good, but I know that it then had a lot of different negative externalities and backlash. So give us some context on sort of what went into it and, and maybe what was some good, but now some challenges that exist with all this innovative infrastructure that was developed. Yeah, that's something to keep in mind. Like the Brazilian population is really vast and we have a huge gap between the rich and the poor. If you are poor in Brazil, you're really poor. And if you're rich, you're really rich and, and comparable to rich people in the United States. <laughs> so it's something like the gap is really huge. So for the majority of the population, which is like not rich, obviously, they were seeing, perceiving the, the World Cup as something like, why are we beating, why are we wasting like millions upon millions of dollars on that? And in the most sparse populated areas in Brazil, if we're not going to be able to use that after the, the World Cup, because we, with the World Cup, the Brazilian government would like to show the country, show all the beauty of the country, which is like, Really interesting, but some parts of the, the, the infrastructures were used only for like two matches, like two, two, two hours, uh, uh, games. And that was all. And they were never used since. And that's like 45 million reais being used for like two matches in a country that we have like a lot of things to, to invest money on. <laughs> And on that note, people get really excited during the World Cup. The, the, the country is really into the, the, this party scene of the World Cup. But before and after, we have a lot of people really concerned about like, are we going to be able to use the infrastructure that you've built for the games? And the short answer was, and it still is, no. Because we don't have that many... Uh, shows, international shows that would use that kind of infrastructure. So they, they're basically not used since then. And, and one question I had, I remember I was in Brazil in 2011 and that was when there was a lot of excitement for the World Cup and the Olympics coming and a lot of hype going on in Brazil. And I remember hearing right afterwards when he, uh, this 
stadiums would be built a lot of times in areas that were surrounded by some of the lower income population. And that raised the, the real estate value and just raised the pricing and displaced a lot of people. Could you elaborate on that? And then I also want you to elaborate on the whole, the challenges of public transportation within Brazil and in some of the issues with the raising of some of the bus prices, which I know is, which is a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in that point, we have, uh, even though some of the those stadiums were built inside the, the huge cities in Brazil, they were built not near the, 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 the rich people. <laughs> they were built near the poor people, which was like a little bit like cheaper land. And like, it's easier to talk to people that have low income. So they will not like fight you a lot and will not like have like bigger properties. So you have to pay a lot to wave people from their land. So it was really a problem because you have indistinguishable to see that and not think about the gap between the rich and the poor. Because you have like this huge thing with people from all around the world wasting their, their wasting not like investing their money for culture and for like their own leisure. And people that were like fighting to survive, fighting to have food on the table during the day. And they were like sharing the same streets sometimes. And it was a real concern for the, the, the public safety. Because of that difference, people were concerned that would get robbed and it wasn't a thing after all. And apart from that, the transportation in Brazil, it's not a good one, <laughs> not a good thing to, to point it out. Because transportation in Brazil, it's basically by car or by truck. If you have goods, if you buy goods, there will always be transported by trucks. So they use our, our roads infrastructure and they degrade a lot and it's not maintained as much as it should be. So we have that kind of problem that you need to move lots of people between the stadiums, but by road is not a, an option. So you have to fly, fly people around. If you fly people around, the prices are going to get really high. And for some of those places that the stadiums were built, we have to build the airport because there wasn't one there. It was need, not needed before. So we have to think about lots of things to just show people that, oh, we have the, the rainforest here. Oh, we have the Amazon here. Okay, that's important to show the people that we can have that in consonant with the stadiums, the city live near them. But in, uh, on that point, people were getting real frustrated, frustrated because basically all of the investment was made only by the government. It wasn't a joint investment. So it was from people's like money that people pay, people pay for the government to sustain our, our health system, which is universal, universally available in Brazil. And it's under budget. So it's, it's a kind of concern from the people that need health to see people wow. using a stadium and like, oh, I don't have my medicine because medicine is free in Brazil if you have some specific needs. So if you have that need and you're like fighting in, in, the, in a jury for your medicine, which is like 10,000 reais, and 
seeing like 45 million reais being put on a stadium, you kind of get a little bit frustrated about yeah. the system. <laughs> it was a, a, a big show up of Brazil to put out the Olympics and the, the World Cup. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. Amazing, but it was a lot of money as well. And it seems interesting with when it's just government funds, it, what could you bring up? There's maybe not much incentive to really turn it into a profitable business adventure where it was just they wanted the country to look good using tax dollars. And yeah, yeah. Could there, what you think maybe some of that joint venture kind of public private partnership that maybe could have allowed for a better um, get better outcome today as opposed to just some of them were made in, in a joint venture, but, but like the majority of the money was from public budgets. The problem in Brazil is that the, to make this kind of, of public private venture, it's kind of not easy because of the corruption that we have like kind of like on the roots of Brazil. People are really afraid to be uh, seen as corrupt. People, I mean, the, the private sector. So normally they not, they, they go either it's a concession that the public is not investing on it and you like use it for like 20 years as our mm -hmm. roads are, or it's totally public funded. Because the, the mix between them, it's kind of a, like a gray area still. How to do that in a not um, not seen as a bad thing in Brazil. So I want to switch a um, conversation here to the aspect of the transportation point. And I know you mentioned it's a, it's a challenge, but I would love to hear from your perspective of maybe what are some solutions to the infrastructure transport problem and are there organizations that you're aware of that are doing something on the ground to help alleviate some of the challenges that exist? Yeah, in Brazil, we have like we have in the past a real, a real good infrastructure of trains. In the 19th century, we have that really good in Brazil because of the coffee beans being transported from the, the, the countryside to the to the ports to be exported. With time, that degraded a lot. And today it's only being used for like soybeans on the on some areas of Brazil and mostly of our infrastructure, it's used for, for minerals. Basically that is it. It's not common in Brazil for you to, to, to be transported within cities with train transportation. And it's been really brought up that every election we see a lot of people talking about that and like possible solutions for that we have like the three big cities in brazil would be connected in a master plan on the dilma Rousseff government years ago which was from my city campinas going all the way to sao paulo and even reaching rio de janeiro campinas it's kind of like a country country <laughs> I mean, it's a huge city, but in the countryside of the country, because it's not Sao Paulo, it's not like not capital of a state, mm -hmm. for instance. So it's like, it's really huge, but it's not a capital of a state. So they would connect Campinas to Sao Paulo, which is roughly 19, 19 kilometers. And then Sao Paulo to Rio, which is ar around 200 kilometers. So it would be not a huge one, but a really massive one because like the aviation 
aviation connection between those three is really huge. And it's basically like people traveling between these three cities. So why need to, to burn fuel <laughs> for like a half an hour flight? So people are really concerned about that. Uh, we have kind of get some solutions, but not things. Uh, it didn't get too well for the, the, the public because it would be a public-private situation, as I said. So people were really kind of like raising the bar for like what you can do and what you cannot because it would be seen as, as corruption. So it was really narrow the area for like uh, leveraging like gains from the this construction so people like the the private sector was not actually so interested in that people say that that's something that would be raised again in in a few years because of the election in Brazil mm-hmm. so i think that in the next a few years we're going to see that a lot again i would like to, to recall a little bit for the infrastructure for education or the mixing of those two. Yeah, please. Because, because that is, is something that I see as interesting. Because in Brazil, the, the universities, the majority of the publication made by universities are made by the public universities. And when I say public universities in Brazil, I say free public universities. So they are always being paid by public money. And that may make people that do not go to that universities think that's a waste of money. On that note, it's a really narrow part of the population that actually enters the university in Brazil. I haven't crunched the numbers for that, but I have for Unleash crunched the numbers for how much of the population actually speaks English and actually is a proficient in English. And that's kind of the thing that I talked to the, the, the people of Unleash. If you're going to bring Unleash to Brazil, it would be really helpful to use the the mother tongue of Brazil, because only 5% of people in Brazil assume that they talk and they can express themselves in English, and only 1% says that that's proficiently. So that's really a small part of the population. And I know people that can actually make things happen in Brazil, but not in English. (laughs) <laughs> so it would be really helpful. And I'm really glad that they have changed that kind of, of situation. I don't know if you, if you have heard of that. It can be done, it can be done in, in the language of the country or, or, or the language of the region. Good. So it's going to be really helpful to do the, the hack for Unleash in Brazil in Portuguese. Part of it has to be in English, but I think that we can, we can translate that part for the people. And on the note, I think that Unleash is basically part of that mixing between education and infrastructure. Why? Because if you give people a lot of information, how to get to this information, how to get to people that can do things, and that's like a motive for me. I know that I'm not the person to do things, but I, I think that I can make people that can do that be able to actually imagine them realizing things. They can actually see them doing things and doing things really big because they teach us this mindset. They teach us this way of understanding your problem, how to solve this problem, how to outline 
these questions in this kind of really organized way, that's actually education. And that's actually making people aware of their own possibilities. I can come up with something. I can come up with a, a, an actual answer. Is it the best answer? I don't know. Now I need the infrastructure to understand it a little bit better. When I say infrastructure, I say scientific and technological infrastructure. Well, and when you say that, like infrastructure, does that mean reliable Wi-Fi? Does that mean access to a safe place to study? Does that mean electricity to be able to, to read at night? Like break it down of like, what are the different core tangible things that are needed to actually have the infrastructure to provide reliable and consistent education? Yes, that's important because here in Brazil, the system, the education system, the, the higher education system, it's part of one of the one huge group in the, in the government. And one of those is CAPES, which is basically an office that can bring all the infrastructure that is needed for the higher education to run smoother. That means a really fast connection, internet connection for all the universities. Every university, if you are a public university, you have it for free. And if you are private, you pay like only the connection and then you have it for free. And that's like the highest speed that you can have in the country, like one gig or 10 gig, something like that on your university. So that's, that's really helpful because we cannot lie here <laughs> because like most of those scientific resources that you get, you get from the internet. On the note, part of the CAPES is called periodicals, which like it's called journals in, in the exactly translation. And it's basically like a really huge part of the country. All of the, the public universities and public institutes like mine, they have free access to most of the journals in the world for free, being paid by this, this organization in the, in the government. So it's not like about the size of the university that matters for you to get access to all of those resources. And that's also infrastructure because you're giving access to all of those institutions, no matter what the size or the budget, they're going to have the same access to all of those resources, like access to books and ebooks and journals and even other things there's, I don't know, Darwin Innovation. Do you know that is like a patent research program? What innovation? Driven, driven innovation? Yes, yes, it is. It is, it In, is innovation is a, a broad term, but yeah, just finding different ways to bring stuff to market, mm -hmm. patenting it. Yes, that's something that it's really interesting because in, in, in that situation, the law in Brazil requires that every university and every research institute have their own patent office. So it's not only patent office, but it's a patent, not patent, sorry, uh, intellectual property office. So you have that security that you can have all the support that you need in your own institute. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you as the inventor or you as the, the, the owner of the intellectual property have to go after an attorney for that. You have that supported for you as well. 
So we have that kind of infrastructure to leverage all the innovation that is it's being built in Brazil. And we need to follow that with the education part of it. Yeah. It's not just because you have that, that you have like a really huge spike of patent failing in the Brazil. <laughs> so we need to educate people to use the infrastructure that is already available for them. I mean, it's sort and, of like the idea of if you build it, they will come. It's kind of true, but at the same time, if they don't know how to use it or how to exactly. capitalize on the infrastructure, it's it's kind of just going to sit there and not be used. Exactly, because people pass in front of the building of the IP building, intellectual property building, but don't know what is inside. They don't know that they can have access to that. And it's interesting because even though it is... Uh, for the universities use or for the institutions to use. If you are an individual innovator and you go to any university in Brazil, you can have support for free on any wow. one of those IP offices. So it, that's something that like the population don't know that. You have to empower people to actually think, oh, am I going to do that? Am I going to go on that way pursuing the intellectual property? Is it something that I can do? Yes. Is it something that I, I know how to do? No, but you have support. That second phrase, it's not known by much of the population. They don't know that they have free support and they have support to do things in the right way. Interesting. That's kind of magic <laughs> for me to think because when people go off... Um, offshore go like to other countries they actually get to know a lot of these in other countries not because the other countries have it for free have it in like many many places but in the other countries part of the budget is only for you to marketizing <laughs> to, commercialize to commercialize your services mm -hmm. and when it's done in brazil the budget is so, is so constrict that you don't have that margin. So you actually don't spread the word for people. Even though the, the country is like paying for that services within the institutions, they do not pay for the institutions to actually say that, wow. oh, we can help you. Oh, we can, we can do things to help you to actually have your own IP. So, so that's... For, for me, that's why I say that when I get the infrastructure, I have to give you together the education to use it. They're extremely on that level. On that level, it's it's really it's really not easy to see. But there is one level that is really easy to see. You went to university. I went to university. We have the infrastructure. The university is the infrastructure. If you've done something on like the, the, the more science-related things, you went to a lab, you mixture things on the chemistry lab, that's infrastructure. If you use like a microscope, if it's like a normal lenses microscope, that's fine. It's a kind of old infrastructure, but it is still infrastructure. In my center, we have the only cryo microscope open to society. It's an open facility. Cryo microscopes are like something next level. You can see how things work. Like you can observe one protein. 
and how it's organized on the space. And you can observe that. And we are using cryomicroscopy for the COVID. And we are using Sirius, which is like next, next level, which is our synchrom. Synchrotron. I want to uh, maybe change the conversation really quick here towards the end. Just kind of back to, I mean, when we first met, we talked about Unleash, but I'd, I'd love to get some context on the solution you worked on briefly at the 2019 Unleash event. What was your experience? And, and just give us a little snippet about the project you worked on and your experience in Unleash 2019. Well, Unleash 19 was such a huge experience for me because... I have never been to China before. <laughs> yeah. So that was something apart. <laughs> the the East, about the, man. Oh, I love that country. I love China. Even though I have like a real trouble with the internet, I love the, my experience there. And my solution was based on the, basically on infrastructure and education. What a shocker. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Where did that come from? That was basically... We observed that in some countries, there are like basically the not third, third, third world countries, developing world, developing ones. They're having like a step forward on the infrastructure and that step forward not being pursued by the education, the education system in that countries. Namely, if you have a country that is based on like handy things, you construct things with hands, you only use your hands to do things, and then you have like petrol, all your infrastructure. You have to actually have people trained to work on that field. And uh, the educational systems in many countries, Brazil included in that, have a really long delay between what is needed by the industry and what is being brought up by the educational system. Mm. We have, we kind of like turn that on a way that is, if you learn everything from the bare bones, like the science and everything from the beginning, and you do a lot of work on that, you should be able to extrapolate that for newer things. One, Basically, one, one question I have, and, and maybe this tied into your project is, Within, you know, I would say, hey, calling a third world or developing world or global south, the dynamic of how digital infrastructure has helped us and maybe helped some of those countries maybe make some of those exponential leaps with infrastructure to provide education. What's your thoughts on that? And, and maybe any examples of some success stories around that use of digital infrastructure? Yes, the really, really interesting part of that is that the digital, it's not something that you, it's op optional anymore. You need that. If you don't have that, you're going to be stuck on a, on a path that is like really slow. You're going to get what you want and the responses for what you asked, like in a really slow fashion. So you're not keeping up with everything. And on top of that, many countries have done something which is like a joint venture. If the industry, industry needs some specific tailored professional, they should be reaching out for the educational system and actually expressing their needs. And on that note, the teachers, they, they need to be trained as well. 
if you learn to well jewelry, because you you do things like for your for like that purpose, you're not going to be able to weld a two meters two meter tall or like I don't know how many feet that is, but <laughs> six feet. <laughs> uh, you're not going to be able to to weld that on a, an oil field. There are totally different skills. The machinery is different. Basically, the science between welding metal is something that you can like relate between these two professionals. But the actual actual technical skills is it's totally different. And that leap between you using the weld, the knowledge that you have weld on welding to to make jewelry, you can learn easier in an easier fashion how to weld everything like if you have the equipment the infrastructure and the knowledge for that the industry would help with the infrastructure oh you can have like field travels in your technical education to learn what is needed in the field so that's something that we were approaching a more like educational related uh, for the needs that are perceived by in the industry, they are not being, it, it wasn't about soft skills. I would like to point it out because it wasn't basically about the soft skills that we are, we heard a lot that are totally needed, but it was more about like helping the, the educational system to keep up with the changes in industries in these rapid growing countries. Yeah. And everything's just moving and shaking so fast. So that's interesting. And, and it's been great to hear the intersection of infrastructure and education. And as I mentioned earlier, I think all, all the goals go together, but the, this is a great marriage of two that really intersect. And you've given some good insight here. And, and to wrap us up, I'd love to have uh, just a final Kleber mic drop message. Like what's a final thought or message that you'd like to give to the listeners on innovation or best practices or inspiration or conspiracy theories. I don't know. It could be anything. <laughs> yeah. I think that the, the, if I may say something for people, I would like to, to ask people to think about the things where you were a few years ago, like five years ago and how you grow to be where you are now. That change, it wasn't like by mistake. It wasn't by chance. You've, you have done a lot to get to where you are now. So on that note, believe in yourself and you can do even greater things. Dude, uh, that's some inspiration. Give me goosebumps here. <laughs> oh my God. I, I should write something down because I ever, ever, I forget about these things. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kluber, I appreciate it, man. You've, you've, uh, you're, a a great friend, great uh, insights here today and uh, look forward to more collaboration with you and all things. Always, always. I love to talk to you. And I know that you have a, a bright mind and I know that you are a doer. So I, I like to, to keep in touch with people like that. I like to be friends with people like that because you make me think that I can do more. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Well, vice versa. And I uh, hope you have a great rest of your day and tell your mom I say hello. Oh yeah, I totally will. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the SDG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow SDG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash in United Nations community. 
goal of the STG Talks is to bring you good content. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on STG Talks.